Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Stick to football. We're going to run down all the news and notes surrounding the NFL, NFL draft, and free agency. We're going to give you our dream quarterback fits. A player spotlight uh, is back. And then some draft on draft questions to end this thing. You get again, Matt, Mello, and Connor. You can check us out on Bleacher Report's YouTube page. There's a stick to football playlist, or you can listen to the show three times a week wherever you get your podcasted. Fellas, uh, I'm going to say it again. Please continue to stay home if you can. Wash those hands. Uh, I saw the thing people in Texas are saying, wash your hands like you just cut jalapenos and have to change your contacts. Yeah, I, I think that's a good plan. I think, right? <laughs> I mean, I could, I could list some different ones out there, but yeah, I think just wash your hands. You shouldn't need an excuse to do it. Like, I'll be the first guy to admit I was not washing my hands regularly. I had no <laughs> idea how fast I would go through hand soap, but now that I have it and I'm washing my hands, just do it. It's not that bad. Although I will. Let's get weird to start off the show. I thought I was supposed to wash my hands for two minutes instead of 20 Just seconds. Just brush your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> so can you imagine the amount of time I've been spending washing my hands? Like, there's pretty much no skin left on my hands after two so minutes of how just long do you brush scrubbing. Your teeth? 20 seconds? I, I, see, I thought they were both two minutes. So, right? Super clean hands. Mello has eczema now. Uh, you can see it on YouTube. Uh, all right. Uh, speaking of videos that came out. Tua releases a video on his Twitter account Monday night, and I have to tell you guys, it's probably the best video I've seen since the shutdown. My man looks good, running through cone drills, throwing the ball, and I loved that he specifically releases a video where we see him moving, putting pressure on the hip, having to torque, having to rotate. He looks in great shape as well. I know that was something we had talked to a lot of people about. Hey, is he? what's he going to look like when we get through this? Is he going to be 240 or, or is he going to be 200 pounds? Where is he going to be in terms of his conditioning? He looks fantastic. I think as good as he's looked since I became aware of him, at least as a freshman quarterback, the video is crisp. He's showing his footwork, his agility, and the throw looks good. And I know we've talked about this before. A healthy Tua is not that far behind Joe Burrow as the best quarterback in this class. I mean, I think you could even say he might not be behind. I love this video from Tua. I think the only people that are going to hate this video are Dolphins fans and the Dolphins organization because they might actually have to trade some of those first-round picks now because after this video, I think that he's in play for three. I think teams like the Chargers uh, are going to be trying to get up there. I think the Patriots are going to be trying to get up there. And you know that Belichick can work with his guy Patricia and get something done. So the Dolphins... I wouldn't sit around and wait too long. I think Tua looks great. I'm trying to get up to that number three, maybe even number two spot to grab this guy from the Dolphins. Yeah, this could not have been released. It feels like at a better time. It kind of set the world on fire. Everyone was like, oh, shit. Like, we didn't think he'd be moving like that already. And, right. you know, everybody has the concerns about the, the no rechecks because of COVID-19 right now and how it would impact Tua and non-combine invites. But... This is obviously just great news for Tua, and I think it raised everyone's eyebrows because, like you said, Matt, 
that might be the most nimble we've seen him since we watched Tua play, or at least that's what it felt like. It does almost seem like maybe this time off has been good for him. You know, maybe the ankle is healthy. Yeah, uh, right. Not to make everything about about our guy Mahomes, but there's something that you know he had the he had the ankle injury. Then when he hurts his knee, well, he had time to heal the ankle. And so it's like with Tua, you almost feel the same way. All the bumps and bruises that he accumulated at Alabama have had time to heal now because he's had this now four months, five months of not doing anything but rehabbing the hip. So he does look healthier. And I think what's encouraging about this, we've all been excited about the the you know x-rays and scans and everything looks good, but we've always prefaced it and said, according to his agent, who's leaking it to reporters. This video is not Lee Steinberg's word for it. We're seeing it. We're seeing him move. And I would not be surprised. I, I know that some people in that camp listen to this show. Hey, guys, give us a 10-minute video of him throwing and moving. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say. Give me 10 like, minutes. This, this is a it. really good yep. clip. I do want to see uh, what that hip looks like for a little bit longer than the 10 seconds or whatever that video was. But I still think that he's working on getting back in shape. I mean, he's just now moving around a little bit, so you're probably not going to see a lot. But I do think it gives you – uh, a lot of good positive feelings for the season going forward if you are a team that is in need of a quarterback. Without a doubt. I mean, it, it definitely helps. And I know people. some people sit there and say, well, it's just a video. But I really do think something like that helps. And I, I'm torn, guys. I don't know what Miami's going to do in terms of whether they sit there at five, whether they come up for Tua, whether the Chargers come up for Tua. Uh, how teams view Justin Herbert in comparison to Tua. And obviously, the, every all those things are going to be tight-lipped. And if you do hear something that evident, it's probably a smokescreen. So I think this is one of the more fascinating uh, battles for post-quarterback one between two and three. It feels kind of like, I mean, we thought Sam Darnold was going number one for a very, very long time. But then there was that mix of Baker, Rosen, and Allen, how they would come off the board. And I will say, as far as you, like you mentioned there, like, oh, like insider news and like, we're, if we hear anything, it's a smokescreen. More than ever, none of us are going to have a fucking clue what's happening because scouts aren't in the building. So, like, the That's area right. scouts yes. that normally give us information, they're not in the building. So, like, even now, like, I've been texting my group of friends who are general managers. They're even saying things like, man, we don't know. You know, like, um, you know, I'll ask a question about some obscure guy. Uh, there's the wide receiver from Miami, Jeff Thomas. I text yesterday. We're doing draft 400. I text a couple people. Hey, like, do you think he gets drafted? There were a couple of GMs that were like, we are not even close to having an opinion on a guy like that right now. So it's wow. a, well, it's it's a month a, out. So. Right. I went ahead and let them know he's not draftable. But, you know, just in, <laughs> it's still like uh, you would expect them to be farther ahead at this point in time. So and, and that could vary team to team. But there are a lot of folks who are they feel like they're behind the ball. Uh, let's move ahead here. Trent Williams, Washington Redskins, did not play last year. And he releases on Tuesday morning a statement through his agent to Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and the rest of that crew that he wants released or traded. Now, it seems like he's a little upset that Quentin Dunbar uh, spoke out against the team and got traded to Seattle for fifth-round pick, and here he is, hadn't played in a year, and can't get moved. And one thing that you continually hear around the league is that Trent Williams, what he wants in terms of contract and what Washington wants in terms of compensation are just too high to get him moved right now. Yeah, and I feel bad for Trent Williams. I mean, this guy has been trying to get out of this relationship so hard, but it's just not working for him. They want to keep him around. He wants to explore new things. I think it's just time to cut ties with him. If you're the Redskins, try to move him, try to get a pick back for him, but it's just not going to work out. You're not going to mend that relationship at the end of his career. He probably wants to go somewhere where he can have some more success uh, as a team with a winning team. 
Let him do it. Find a pick. Find a partner. And all signs pointed to that they were holding out for a second-round pick. And it felt like, guys, at some point last year, they might have even had a chance to get a first-round pick. And Bruce Allen would not move him. So this is really this is an asset that has just fallen off a cliff right now when you look at Trent Williams. And like you said, Melo, for Trent, you, you kind of almost feel bad for him because he feels like the organization at a time was dishonest with him and that he wants to go out and, and not play there anymore on top of wanting to get paid. And it feels like there's so many hurdles right now. If the Redskins don't cave soon, uh, this thing will get more and more ugly through certain voices in the media. Yeah, I think so. You're going to see both sides come out, you know, just like we saw with the, the CBA. You're going to see each side come out supporting their stance. So Trent Williams once moved. Uh, Cam Newton, I see one of you added this. Cam Newton will be released today by the Carolina Panthers. And we've said all along, this is a player going to be very, very difficult to trade because of the medical situation. If you're a team, if you're the Chargers and you want Cam Newton, can't bring him in for a physical right now. You have to find a neutral party, basically. Uh, an orthopedist is what a lot of people are doing to get the physical done. So Cam Newton going to be released. And I think that he is going to have a, a little bit of a tough time finding a deal unless he's willing to take a short-term contract that is very incentive-laden because of the questions about injury. A guy who's been hurt for the last 18 months, basically. I mean, yeah, I, that's a good like two seasons that we've been seeing Cam Newton. And I love Cam Newton. And I know that we've been talking a lot about him and even what he did in college. I love Cam Newton. But I, I think that he's another guy kind of like Todd Gurley. He's going to have to take a short contract. It, throw in a lot of incentives for him. But I just don't know if I'm going to give this guy a two- or three-year deal to come be my quarterback. He's another guy that's going to have to take that Ryan Tannehill deal uh, and go to a, a, a team that needs a backup that maybe he can compete for a starting job. I think Oakland would have been a really good fit with John Gruden. They don't need him now. Now they have Marcus Mariota. And I think one of the questions you have to ask with Cam right now is, is he going to take less money to go somewhere where he feels like he can build back up his stock because it's probably going to be a one-year deal no matter where he goes. But if New England calls, would you go there? They don't have a lot of cap space, guys. No, they don't. If they, do, if they have any interest in Cam Newton, and I'm not sure if they would or if they do, but they're not offering him $20 million a year or anything like that. No. This would be a very, very low market deal. But if you're Cam Newton, you're sitting there and going – Man, if I play for cheap this year, if I feel like I'm healthy and get back to being myself, I could cash in on one of those 60 to $100 million deals the following year. So it's going to be a very interesting time for Cam Newton, and I'm very curious to see how the league values him after everybody really already made their quarterback plans for next year. I think that's the hard part is, like, where does he go? You know, we've said the Chargers, but there have been reports they're not going to add a guy until the draft. Well, and the Panthers so even gave him permission to seek a trade. So for the past, I don't even know what day week, it is anymore, probably. but for the past week, Cam Newton and his agent have probably been talking to teams saying, hey, come get our guy, come get our guy. And the Panthers haven't found any partners for him, which is telling me that no team's willing to give up a fifth rounder for Cam Newton. And also, I mean, the Panthers also traded Kyle Allen for mm -hmm. a fifth rounder, which is uh, shocking that Kyle Allen goes yeah, that a is. fifth rounder. Player was an undrafted free agent, and then you get uh, a fifth round pick back for him. So they're going to roll into next year, the Panthers, with Teddy Bridgewater, Will Greer, and P.J. Walker. <laughs> That's the quarterbacks. And so I do think with Cam, like we saw the Bears add Nick Foles. We, Mark, like Melo said, we saw the Raiders add Marcus Mariota. Uh, where does a player like Cam Newton even go to where you feel like you have a chance to get on the field and try to, as you said, Connor, try to recoup some of that lost value? There's not an obvious situation unless, you know, unless the Dolphins say, you know what? We don't like it in one in this class. We're yeah, going to go come, Cam Newton for a year. Come tutor Tua for a year and be that guy. I, maybe the Saints take him on and say, hey, stay in the NFC South. 
come work behind Drew Brees, who's often injured. Taysom Hill is our tight end fullback. Be our backup yeah. quarterback. Be our Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, there's not not an obvious fit for Cam Newton at all. Uh, Mitch and Kyle Allen got traded. That was a, a bit of a surprise. But now Ron Rivera has a good backup or maybe competition for Dwayne Haskins in Washington. But this one surprised me, guys. I'm trying to watch Tiger King last night sitting on my deck. And Travis Frederick up and retires, 29 years old. But injuries have been an issue for the player who missed a season not that long ago due to an issue and the Cowboys had drafted Connor McGovern in the third round last year, basically with this in mind, that this could happen. But Travis Frederick, probably the best center in the NFL at times over the last eight seasons, now uh, headed off to retirement. Yeah, you hate to see these guys retire early, especially a guy who is at the top of his position. But if you're a Cowboys fan, I think you're going to be okay. I think that offensive line is still going to be one of the best in the league, even without Travis Frederick there. And the interior offensive line of this draft class, I think you can find somebody late now that can maybe come in just in case you don't like what McGovern's giving you. Yeah, I'm not expecting them to use a first or second round pick on a center just because of this retirement. I mean, there were reports that internally they were ready for this they have joe looney they have mcgovern there i think they feel good enough about one of those two guys to hold the fort for this year so obviously if it's a a dallas fan you're a dallas fan this is not what you want to hear frederick's a a pro bowl player year after year a really good player but i don't think this the ship is sinking because of this retirement no, I don't think it is either. I think that this is a very well-prepared team. As Mello and I were talking before we started recording today, he said, man, I think I could play center on that line, and they'd probably be okay because oh, you get yeah. play between Zach Martin and Connor Williams with Tyron Smith if, and Lyle Collins. If you're looking for some silver lining, now you've cleared up his cap space. Now you're paying <laughs> a rookie center instead of an all-pro center. Uh, so I was trying to look up. I mean... Cap space was about $10 million, so now you have that. Maybe now you can get that DAC deal done and still have one of the best offensive lines in football. All right, how yeah, about... It would have been nice if it was a little earlier, though, for Byron Jones. <laughs> no joke, yeah, right? <laughs> Sorry. No, you're absolutely right. They, he saw Amari's contract and was like, man, i got to get out of here if they're yeah. paying that dude that much. All right, how about this one? Marcus Mariota, speaking of contracts, I know the money that came in was reported, and it's like, ah, oh, it's good backup money. But I saw Monday that if Marcus Mariota ends up playing like a starter, he's going to get paid like a starter. So it, it makes me think, we've heard for a long time that there's going to be competition for Derek Carr last year. A lot of people thought they could have surprised and drafted a quarterback at number four overall. They did not. But now Derek Carr has legitimate competition from a player that his GM and head coach, who used to be in the media, publicly loved. Both guys loved Marcus Mariota. Now they have him. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to make it kind of weird about Gruden and Mayock there for a while is that we know the guys that they liked. In the draft, we watched Gruden do the quarterback room for years. Mayock been on NFL Network, I think, since that damn thing started. But Marcus Mariota, I think this is a contract that uh, a lot of guys were talking about Cam Newton earlier. I think that's what they're going to have to do. You're going to have to take that one year prove it deal. And I like the fit here with Oakland. I I think that it's going to push a guy like Derek Carr, who maybe got a little bit comfortable in that locker room of being that starter for so long. Now you bring in another veteran that can push him, but also fits really well in that offense and what they're trying to do. Yeah, and Gruden's obsession with collecting quarterbacks, it's never going to go away. So this one shouldn't really surprise anyone. It would be ironic if what happened to Marcus Mariota last year with Ryan Tannehill happened this year with Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota. That would be uh, pretty crazy. I think Carr had a good year last year, so I'm not expecting him to get benched for any reason. But this is a good, uh, you know, good injury insurance, I think, having Mariota there. 
and obviously with a staff that is very, very high on him. And quickly, guys, I do want to talk about the NCAA released their top 25. For some reason, they did it in uh, late March. Well, we know why, but uh, a little early for the NCAA to do the top 25. But what was the first word that came to your mind when you saw the Rams' new logo? I just still don't get it. Like, it leaked, obviously. And I thought that it was just going to leak like we talked about. Maybe they leak it and then they change it a little bit. Nope. It's just not a good logo. I don't like the cartoon-type logos. I do like the color scheme. Sorry, Matt, you can sit out of this conversation. But going back to the blue and the yellow, uh, I like that, that. Honestly, is that different? Yeah, they were more of like a gold and okay. navy. Uh, so I like the color scheme, but the logo still just sucks. Yeah, that's where they blew it. The logo's weird. I don't like the logo at all. I think the new Ram is fine. I think the font was fine, um, but I just and the colors are fine. But like you said, Mello, the logo is the thing that matters here. So yeah. you blow that. It's just underwhelming, and it just kind of makes you sit there and you're like, why? Like, what was the need to do this? And how many test phases did this go through where this somehow is the final result? Like, to me, you have Nike, the NFL, and Rydell. Like, three huge companies, and this is what you come up with. It looks to me, I can't not see, it's L.A. with Donald Trump's hair on it. That's all I see. It's just that yellow comb over is all I can see. Uh, No matter where you stand politically, I think we can all agree that's what this... Even if you love the hair, right? That's what it looks like. It's not a good look. It's not. (laughs) And I have very little room to speak on hair. Not a good look. All right, how about the NCAA's top 25, guys? This this dropped kind of late Monday night. Uh, Clemson is number one. No surprise there. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Justin Ross come back. Number two, Ohio State, Justin Fields comes back. Sean Wade came back. That defense is still going to be very, very good. And then number three, Alabama. Two is gone. Judy's gone. Ruggs is gone. But you get back Dylan Moses. You get back Devonta Smith and uh, Jalen Waddell. You get back Alex Leatherwood. And Mac Jones actually played pretty well in the bowl win over Michigan. Number four, LSU. I don't know about this one, guys. Jamar Chase and Derek Stingley, yes. But they lost everything. They lost their defensive coordinator. They lost their offensive genius in Joe Brady. They lost Joe Burrow, their entire offensive line, their running back, their tight end, Justin Jefferson. They're two best linebackers. They've got two good receivers coming back. Uh, I like Miles Brennan. But to have them at four, uh, this is just rewarding your national champ and saying, oh, you lost your quarterback, we'll still put you top five. Like, I like LSU. Uh, we all said it was our favorite tailgate spot, so please don't take this as me hating on your university. No, I love LSU. But you lost almost everything on that offense. And you lost a shitload on that defense, too. I just don't see how a lot of blue blood programs will reload. But I don't think the LSU is in a spot to reload as a top five team. Yeah, it might take a year is what it feels like. They've had all these good recruiting classes coming in. Obviously, they still have a lot of good football players there. But when you look at how loaded everyone else stayed, I mean, maybe they'll prove us wrong again, guys. Who knows? But I I think right now it does feel like, hey, you won the national title game. We're not going to leave you out of the top five because that would just seem ridiculous. Rounding out the top ten, Georgia, who will be led by Jamie Newman. That's going to be a fun team to watch. Oregon at number six. Justin Herbert's gone, but... Penny Sewell and Kayvon Thibodeau are back, so they're probably going to be okay. Oklahoma at 7. We're going to see Mello's best friend Spencer Rattler at quarterback. 8. Penn State, led by Micah Parsons and Sean Clifford. 9. Florida, Dan Mullins, Gators. Kyle Trask finished the year very, very well last year. See where he ends up. And then at number 10, Auburn. A team that, if you pressed me right now to name an Auburn starter who is returning, I don't think I could do it. 
Uh, they have their quarterback that me and Connor love. Oh, Bo that's Nicks. right. The yes. Bo Nicks. Bo Nicks. Saga there continues. we go. Bo Our Nicks. favorite player in the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I mean, other than that, yeah. They had a good year last year. I think nine and four was probably better than most Auburn fans thought they would do. Uh, but Gus Melzon kind of has the high expectations and he fails. Low expectations, he succeeds. So I'm not expecting a big year for Auburn, especially if they're coming into the year number 10. We have seven or eight quarterbacks in the 2020 class that believe could be starters, if not at rookie year, at least at some point early in their career. And we're going to do our best fits for these guys. Dream fits, not where we think they'll go. And some of these are going to be the teams that don't even need a quarterback right now. So please, please, please remember, these are not predictions. It's where we, if we could pick, this is where the quarterbacks would go so that they could have the best chance to succeed in the NFL. It's like if they were free agents, where's the best landing spot? Obviously, they're not free agents. Uh, and like you said, we have seven or eight guys here. Not going to get into the Nate Stanleys of the world, but just the top end guys. No, I do love me some Nate Stanley on day three, but not starting there. All right, how about this one, guys? Let's go with Joey Burrow, Mr. Heisman Trophy, 60 touchdowns this year. One of the best college football seasons we have ever seen for a quarterback. He will be the number one pick going to the Cincinnati Bengals. None of us believe that is the best fit. If I could pick anywhere for Joe Burrow... It would be the New Orleans Saints. I know y'all are going to talk about, oh, Joe Brady. Joe Brady was running Sean Payton's offense. This is not Joe Brady's offense. Maybe he tinkered with it a little bit. But if you could put Joe Burrow in that offense with Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Alvin Kamara, that offensive line, and Sean Payton, yeah, I'm taking that all day. Yeah, and let me tell you why you're wrong with the Saints. It's because Joe Burrow's 24 years old. He's ready to play right now, and he's ready to win right now. That means the New England Patriots are the best oh, landing God. spot for Joe Burrow. They are in a desperate need for a quarterback, some would say, not me. But I think that going here gives Belichick the opportunity to keep on winning. And I'm telling you guys, I think Joe Burrow plays just like Tom Brady. Not predicting six wins, not predicting the best quarterback ever, but the play style there is very similar. Guys that can move around in the pocket, can find those open receivers, keeps his eyes downfield. I think the New England Patriots are the best landing spot for Joe Burrow. Mello cutting the throat of his boy, Jarrett Stidham. <laughs> right? You just hate to see that. <laughs> and I'll do the same. I'll cut uh, Matt's boy's Teddy here. I'm going with the Panthers. Listen, uh, I mean, this is just reuniting him with Joe Brady. That's the thought process right. behind this one. Joe Brady, listen, I'm not going to say he created his offense for Joe Burrow, but I think all of Burrow's traits and strengths uh, ex- were executing that offense flawlessly with Joe Brady. And they have some good players there. DJ Moore had a quietly very, very productive year. Christian McCaffrey is the undisputed best running back in football right now. So I think for Burrow, it would have been really exciting if he went to Carolina, a new ownership, new head coach, a, a lot of energy down there. Not going to happen, but I thought it would have been at least a really, really good scheme fit and landing spot. All right, how about Tua Tagovailoa coming out of Alabama? I think the natural, uh, I wanted to say the Saints, but I'm not going to give every quarterback to the Saints because that's not fair. So I went with the second best option, in my opinion, for Tua, and that is the Los Angeles Chargers. Not only from a business perspective, which is amazing, you get a guy from Hawaii who now plays in L.A. He can be the face of the Chargers as they move into a new stadium and now have the best logo in Southern California, which is very important. Tua and those power 
powder blues, those white unis would look so clean. But also you have Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Hunter Henry, and an offensive line that now has Trey Turner. I think the scheme fit for Tua would be perfect to the point that I actually hope the Chargers trade up and make this happen because Tua with the Chargers is magical. It's perfect. Yeah, I like that fit too, but I haven't used the Saints yet on my board, <laughs> uh, and I am going to use them. I think the fit is just too perfect. I have him comp to Drew Brees. I think that uh, a lot of questions with Tua is the health. Let him sit for two years behind uh, Drew Brees. Let him learn the offense a little bit, and when he's comfortable, he's the quarterback in waiting. And that's what I went with as well. I, I think it's such an obvious fit. It, he does have the play style like Brees. He does fit in that offense with pinpoint accuracy. Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, they'll catch 100 balls each, probably more than that. Alvin Kamara, who's a good pass catcher as well. Uh, I think when you look at Tua, just the pocket movements, the pocket feel, and that intermediate intermediate accuracy, which is nearly flawless at times, he really w- he'd be their next Drew Brees. It's that simple to me. It is a fantastic fit for him. It just in that offense, the way it works. Justin Herbert coming out of Oregon, the top senior quarterback in this year's second. <laughs> Not the top senior. He was the top senior bowl quarterback. Sorry, Joe Burrow. Top senior bowl quarterback we saw. I'm actually going to give Justin Herbert to the New England Patriots. When you look at what Tom Brady was able to do, playing from the pocket, executing those throws underneath, I think Herbert does a lot of those things, but he's more mobile than Tom Brady. So you still have a big six foot six, two hundred forty pound quarterback who could play from the pocket, but also somebody who now gives you a little bit of mobility getting to the outside. And of course, I would rather have Burrow and Tua for the Patriots, but getting down the list, I think Herbert is the next best option if you're going to keep Josh McDaniels' offense. Now Herbert does have to get better at working to second and third progression. I think that's the biggest hole in his game right now. I don't know if there's anyone better in the league to teach you that than Josh McDaniels. Yeah, and I think maybe we should have touched on this at the top. I only picked one team per quarterback. I I already used the Saints for Tua, so I'm not going to use them again. Me too. So with Herbert, I'm looking at quarterback needy teams, and I have him going to the Colts. I think that's a great fit to sit behind Phillip Rivers for a year, maybe two, whatever it is, learn that offense, and again, come in. I think he's a guy that probably needs to sit and learn an offense. Uh, I think there are two quarterbacks, you know, maybe only Joe Burrow, that's really ready to start on day one in this draft class. The rest of these guys probably going to have to sit. I like to fit with the the offense and what they want to do downfield, and they really need a quarterback. Going forward, not a lot of guys on roster in 2021. That offensive line would be great for him. Mm -hmm. And I went with the Chargers for Herbert, which is a very, very likely scenario. I I really think the Chargers come out of this thing with one of Tua or Herbert when all is said and done. And There's a couple reasons, but the main one I think for me, guys, is environment. I think Herbert is somebody that needs the right environment to succeed, and I think the Colts are a really good example because you can sit there for a year, you're working with a staff that'll be very hands-on with you, it'll be you know eased into the situation. I think it's the same with the Chargers. They like what they have in Tyrod Taylor there, they really do, where Herbert does not have to play right away. I think Anthony Lynn is an underrated coach. I think they have a lot of pieces on offense that make things easier on the quarterback, whether it's Austin Eckler. Eckler, quietly one of the best pass-catching backs in football. We know how good Keenan Allen is, Hunter Henry. There's so many pieces there, that, and they even added to the offensive line this offseason where, for Herbert, the environment and the offense around him is the best chance to develop. And you keep him on the West Coast, a guy who's really never been outside of Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, he did not want to leave. I mean, mean, he even stayed in school to play with his brother for an extra year, so... I think it's safe to say he's, you know, he likes where he is. He doesn't need that kind of change where you're going across the country. That should have been an option for me in high school. Stay next year to play with you. Should have, right? 
Man, that got you been, to the next level. Would have been fun. Probably would have played college ball that way. All right, Jordan Love coming out of Utah State. A uh, little bit of a small school guy. Gigantic arm. Very good mobility. You're going to hear comparisons, even if they're lazy, to a poor man's Patrick Mahomes. When I look at the Cincinnati Bengals, guys, I see a team in Zach Taylor. They have weapons on the outside with Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green. You have a great back in Joe Mixon. You need someone to give you a bit of a spark. So of the quarterbacks who are available still, I think Jordan Love to the Bengals would be the best fit. Also, he gets to go somewhere. There's going to be no pressure on Jordan Love to be great right out of the gate because Cincinnati, they have not been a good team. Uh, Andy Dalton, they're so ready to move on from this kind of boring passer who's just efficient and he checks the ball down a ton. If you introduce a big play threat, whether it be through his arms or legs like Jordan Love in Cincinnati, these fans are going to, they think Skyline Chili is good. Imagine how good they're going to think Jordan Love is when they see somebody who can actually throw the ball down the field. And that's why I'm going to put Jordan Love to the Chargers. I like Connor was saying earlier with Herbert that those receivers are very good. Uh, they bailed out Phillip Rivers on a lot of 50-50 balls over the last season. Austin Eckler can be a great check down for a guy like Jordan Love. The offensive line is not real good, uh, but he's mobile enough. Like you said, a poor man's Pat Mahomes. And also I'm putting him to the Chargers because this guy throws a lot of interceptions. And as a Chiefs fan, I like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I had to be speechless for a second. All right, Jordan Love, I'm going with the Steelers. Once again, get that vertical game going. I think they like that with their quarterbacks. Uh, They have drafted some guys that can move a little bit before. So I think with Love, you know, I'm not going to call him Big Ben, a different body type, but they're both guys that can simply get outside the pocket and push the ball down the field. And we believe Big Ben's coming back. Jordan Love is somebody that needs to sit this year. He has to sit this year. I would be... Really shocked to see if he doesn't get the Mahomes treatment, guys, where the team that takes him is just very open that they are completely okay with essentially NFL redshirting him, barring significant injury. And I think Pittsburgh is a really exciting landing spot in in regards to that. Speaking of Pittsburgh, that is where I have our good friend Jacob Eason from the University of Washington going. Big-armed quarterback who has to win from the pocket. Probably the least mobile of the the top seven quarterbacks that we're going to talk about today. So he needs that system, that foundation of play from the pocket. Win from between the tackles. He can do that. Eason struggled against the best defenses that he faced. He's going to need coached up. Let him sit behind Big Ben for a year. And then I really believe like the, the trade-off from Ben's arm to Eason's arm is not that different. You have Juju, James Washington, uh, DeAndre Johnson. They have some big weapons at wide receiver. Need a little bit of help in the backfield. But I think if we're just talking about where could Eason go to be developed and then have success, Pittsburgh is that spot. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you on this one, too. And I saw on Twitter earlier today, somebody was tweeting at us, stop mocking a quarterback to the Steelers. What? Like, I'm sorry, guys. You're going to need a quarterback going forward. I don't think that Big Ben has three years left in him at the quarterback position. And I like... Jacob Eason here. I think he's very similar to Ben Roethlisberger with the big arm. A little bit of mobility. I think he's more athletic than he gets credit for for both these guys, uh, Big Ben and Jacob Eason. So I think the fit here with the Steelers just made too much sense. For Eason, I went with the Bucks. Now, this one is not realistic at all because I think when you sign Tom Brady for two years – 
they got to be drafting for win now, or at least you we would think that that's what Tom wants. Bruce Arians, I don't know how many years he has left coaching, so I think he'll be pushing the GM to do the same thing. But in terms of scheme fit and with the coach, I love Eason in the Bucks offense and Bruce Arians' traditional offense that Carson Palmer, uh, you know, kind of stands still in the pocket. Although Eason has this horrible habit of rolling out the wrong way guys he like turns his back to the line it's how he gets himself in trouble over and over again but if you can teach him to be a true pocket passer pushing the ball down the field i would love to see what he could do with bruce arians no risk it no biscuit arians would be great for jacob eason all right jake from from georgia a little bit of a small guy doesn't have great athleticism or the biggest arm sounds to me a lot like Kirk cousins we've seen someone like that fit very well in the Minnesota offense with Gary Kubiak, with Kevin Stefanski. So I'm just going to give Jake Fromm to the Minnesota Vikings. I know they just signed Kirk Cousins for three years, so not ideal from that perspective. But I honestly believe that Fromm tops out as a good backup and maybe spot starter. So the best chance for him to have NFL success would be an offense like this that is familiar with that type of passer. Yeah, and I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I think he's a lot like Tom Brady. He's He's got a good football IQ when you look at Jake Fromm, but also needs to sit. And if you can sit behind Tom Brady for the next three years, uh, not an ideal fit in a Bruce Arians offense, but neither was Tom Brady. So I think that the ideal fit for him, come in, sit, learn behind the best quarterback that's ever played the position, and then maybe put yourself in a, a spot to take over, to be that quarterback of the future. And I put Fromm with Brady's old team, the New England Patriots. All we hear about Fromm is the high IQ, you know, future coach kind of person. Belichick loves drafting these guys. He's drafted three quarterbacks that are already NFL coaches today, yep. right now. Cliff Kingsbury, head coach of the Cardinals, Kevin O'Connell, the offensive coordinator with the Rams, and Zach Robinson, the assistant quarterback coach with the Rams. So Belichick, he loves drafting these high IQ players that are projected as long term backups. That's what I have from projected at right now, but who knows? Maybe Belichick can get starting reps out of him. And, Connor, you might be too young to remember this, but they also brought in Major Applewhite for a tryout out of Texas, and he's a coach at the college level now, so there's one more. There you go. Maybe there's you been even more. Just don't keep up with Major Applewhite <laughs> in the roster moves. <laughs> I, sorry, I do. Okay. I am. This is why. Can we get oh, Chris Sims to call in? And, and Sims was there, too. See? It. Oh, there, there we go. go. Yeah. I still, it's true. you know, after hanging Sims out. Sims did work there. After hanging Hanging out with Major and Mobile, we do need to just not tell them that they're each coming on the pod and be like, hey, Chris, you want to come on stick to football? And let's we'll get them to we'll get a Zoom meeting. The five Reunite of us, you know? them. It would be amazing. It would be a celebrity would, death match. Right. It that would, would be, be so great. Good. I would, yeah, it would be great. All right. Jalen Hurts is the last one. This is something I actually was doing in mock drafts until the Chicago Bears picked up Nick Foles. But I still love the idea of Jalen Hurts in Matt Nagy's offense. I think some of the limitations we've seen from Mitchell Trubisky inability to get outside the pocket even though he's a pretty good athlete it's just he almost seems timid and afraid to get outside the pocket and make plays we know Jalen Hurts will do that he rushed for over 1,000 yards at Oklahoma this past season go back to his time at Alabama watch this man make plays with his feet I feel like Matt Nagy he almost needs like someone to recharge him someone to light a fire under his ass when you see the ability of Jalen Hurts as a runner and a thrower your imagination is going to go into overdrive. That creativity that we saw in Kansas City is going to come back, and you maybe finally get the best out of the weapons they have there in Chicago. Yeah, and with Jalen Hurts, uh, and again, only trying to use one team one time, I'm running out of options here. I didn't want to take the Bears either because I didn't want to agree with you again, 
but they have some quarterbacks in place there. So I went with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, uh, Teddy Bridgewater is getting paid a lot of money there, but it's a short-term deal. I think if you're Jalen Hurts, this could be a Russell Wilson situation. Go in there, prove what you can do, and you know if Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt again, you're right there to swoop in and, and take this job and probably not lose it again. For Hurts, I went with the Vikings, the legendary offensive coordinator there, Gary Kubiak. Uh, you know, I mean, he's worked with a lot of different quarterbacks over the years, some mobile, not so, you know, not, some not so much. But uh, when you look at Kubiak there, you know, I, I think back to the days when the Broncos actually were running an efficient offense with Jake the Snake Plumber on those eight million yeah. bootlegs. Hertz can really flourish on that bootleg kind of offense. And Hertz is a better runner even than Jake the Snake was. But the way they can move outside of the pocket, the way they can cut the field in half and really pick apart in the intermediate accuracy, uh, I think Kubiak is the guy. Now, Kirk Cousins is going to be there for a while, but you still need a long-term backup. And I think for Hertz, he's somebody that would develop really, really nicely going from Lincoln Riley to Gary Kubiak. All right, let's do it. Let's take a break. We come back, our player spotlights, and then some draft on draft. Something we're trying to do every week now until the NFL draft, in which is going to be April 23rd. We don't know yet how it's going to be, but we know when it's going to be. So we will let you know when we know, uh, but you can guarantee we will be covering it in some form or fashion. So player spotlights as we get into our scouting notes, guys. I'll kick it off. Joe Reed from Virginia, known best as a kick returner. I believe five kickoff touchdowns in his career. 33 yards per kick average in 2019. This man is amazing when he's back deep. He has that perfect body type, six foot tall, 215 pounds, almost built like a running back with big lower body. He's got good musculature throughout his, his entire frame, so he can bounce off tacklers, but he also has that squat, stocky type that shows burst, and you really see it in the open field as a kick returner, but then also working underneath. Now, Joe Reed played almost exclusively in the slot. He did at times play in the backfield or in a flex position for the Cavaliers. You watch him sneak out of the backfield, catch balls, get upfield. You watch him sneak into the red zone. He's he's not the greatest route runner, which is why I think he's going to be a day three pick, but the potential is here. If you put Joe Reed with a creative offensive mind, not only is he going to be a good return man, but someone who can help your offense on jet sweeps, pop passes, bubble screens, working on short underneath routes, and then having the ability to turn that into a chunk play with big yards after catch potential. So I'm a Joe Reed fan. I think he's probably a fifth or sixth round pick, but there is big potential here for him to be a playmaker in the NFL. Yeah, I love that, Matt. And you know what else I love? I love hearing you get very excited about talking about another man's body. Uh, just, <laughs> That's I really scouting, like man. Just sitting here listening to you talk about muscles and everything. This guy is loaded. I love him because I didn't know much about him before. So thank you for that update. I'm going to go with a safety prospect that I've done some work on. I really like Geno Smith. Geno Smith, the quarterback. Yeah, wow. Geno Stone, <laughs> take a punch. Geno Stone out of Iowa. He's another one of those Iowa guys. He's like Matt Bowen over there. Uh, he's he's short. Uh, that's one of the biggest knocks on this guy is he's not very big, but I like him as what I'm calling like a swing safety. He does it all. He can play strong. He can play free. He can play nickel corner. Whatever you want this guy to do, he's going to do it. The only knocks I have on him again, length short, and he ran that five, four six forty. That's not good. But we're talking about a late round guy here, probably round four, round five. I'm not talking a top five safety, maybe a top 10 safety in this draft, but also a guy that's going to come in, work his ass off, play hard, and probably give you some good reps on special teams as well. And my player spotlight is going to be on Darnay Holmes, the corner from UCLA. I think if he was 6'1 with good length, we'd be talking about him as a top 60 
top 50 pick, but he's a shorter corner, guys. You know, 5'10", 195, good speed, highly competitive, a really, really good aggressive tackler. But I think most importantly, he's fluid in coverage. He's smooth in coverage. He turns his head to find the ball. He's very, very, you know, high character player, uh, just lives in the film room kind of player. I think when you look at Darnay Holmes, he's somebody that will succeed at the next level, even if he has to play in the slot because of size restrictions. And those slot corners, one of the toughest tasks for any kind of defense defense when you're isolated in the slot you have to be a good tackler because of all those underneath routes all those bubble screens and I think Holmes is a guy that'll come in and and develop into a an upper echelon slot cornerback in the NFL even if he is a fourth or fifth round pick yeah I I remember Darnay Holmes from the senior bowl you talk about him as a slot corner I'll tell you one thing I loved about him is he was matched up against one of those big receivers Colin Johnson or Michael Pittman Jr. I don't remember which one but he was so feisty that me and big country were like look at this matchup it looks like a little brother just out there picking at the big brother just nagging at him handsy trying to get the ball I really liked what I saw from Darnay Holmes at the senior bowl and like you said Connor another guy his quickness shows up absolutely shows up and I do love Geno Stone I think he is the type of guy one thing about team building I try to write about this a lot in scouting reports is if we're talking about a fourth or fifth receiver or a third or fourth safety you have to play special teams like that's a huge part of your job so like you just said Colin Johnson I worry about Colin Johnson. He's six foot six, two hundred fifteen pounds. Can't run. He's not playing special teams. Yeah. He's, he's not a gunner. He's going to be lumped in with guys like Chase Claypool, who he cut their teams. teeth in college football playing special teams, being a gunner and doing everything else. So I think you're right. And you know, when our draft four hundred stuff starts to come out as players get drafted, a lot of it is going to be: can you play special teams? When we get you know past the third round, you have to be able to play special teams. Yeah, there's right. Take a break. Come back. It's draft on draft time. It is draft on draft time. Our first question from Isaiah Simmons, no matter what. Big draft day fan over there. Respect that. Who are your favorite corners who could be late round sleepers and help out in the slot? So when I hear this question, guy who can work in the slot, favorite player, maybe a late round sleeper. I think of a Meek Robertson immediately. Tiny little dude from Louisiana Tech. He plays like he is six foot three, 240 pounds. He plays mean. He plays tough. He's very physical. He's a ball hawk. Now, the thing is, he only played four games this year because, or excuse me, he played four games with a partial tendon tear, wasn't able to really do anything uh, throughout the draft process before COVID-19 shut us all down. So small frame, like Connor said with Darnay Holmes, if he were bigger, if Amik Robertson were two inches taller and healthy, he would be a top 50 player in this draft. Yeah, and uh, when I'm looking at my big board, too, I'm going to go Damon Arnett. I mean, he is the ultimate slot corner here. That's what he did at Ohio State. He let guys like Akuda and Wade play on the outside, and then he was that feisty slot corner pretty much the entire time uh, he was at Ohio State. And I think you can pick him up late as well. He's going to have that winning pedigree coming from Ohio State, which is DBU, in my opinion. Uh, so if you're looking for a guy that can play in the slot, and again, special teams, I think it's Darnay, or sorry, Damon Arnett. Have you guys noticed there's this group of corners that are probably round three and beyond that are all tall, lengthy, physical, yes. and did not run well? It's A.J. Green, Stanford Samuels, Cam Dantzler. There was things I liked about all of those guys, but yeah. it's so hard to overcome 
a really, really bad 40 at the combine when you're a corner. There are guys that have done it. They're just outliers. So I look at that group of three, and I know this show specifically, you guys have been high on Dantzler. I've seen things that I've really liked out of A.J. Green. I just want to see which one of those guys pans out, despite the fact they don't have the long speed. And I do wonder this year so much, because, you know, normally we would have a time on a guy at the Combine and a time at his pro day and maybe a time at a private workout. It's not going to happen this year. Like, Damon Arnett didn't run very well. A.J. Green didn't run very well. You're That's your time, man. Like, you're... That's who you are. And so uh, I know I've said before in the show, a lot of scouts have told me they are there's the silver lining to no workouts is guys are going to get drafted off their film, not off their workouts. And so that could push people up. Um, I'm actually still high on Stanford Samuels. Didn't run that well, but an incredibly raw player. So the corner class, it's going to be really interesting to see how it falls out. All right. Garrett Greenlee asked. With no pro days or any other things leading into the draft is how mocks are now as accurate as they'll be in a month. This is a first ever for the NFL. Okay, I'm translating here. Are mocks right now as accurate as they'll be in a month? So since there's no month? pro days and nothing's changing. No, no, not at all. I still feel like mocks right now, we're getting close. Like you're getting in the you're getting in the ballpark of okay, the Vikings need a receiver and a corner. In a month, I hope to be able to narrow that down to a player or two. So I've I honestly think I know we said it earlier in the show. A lot of area scouts are not in the building, so you're not getting those leaks that you might normally get or the intel that you might normally get. You're just going to have to trust the high-level relationships that you form because mock drafts are what we hear and what we think will happen. It's not what we would do. So relying on a mock draft is more about getting the that information. And this is generally when that would start to pick up. We're sitting here right now, 29 days from the draft. This is where the information starts to come out. Yeah, and that's why, you know, the guys that are at the top of your profession are, are most accurate. It's because they're getting the intel from teams. Uh, I don't have nearly the resources that, you know, a guy like Matt does or, you know, McShay or Daniel Jeremiah. They're hearing legitimately from teams, hey, we really like this guy. Now, some of that information is going to be false. I mean, it's lying season right now, but I think that mock drafts are going to be more inaccurate than ever because teams haven't done the pro day where usually, you know, you get around till, I mean, we're almost in April here. You'll have teams say after a pro day, man, we really liked him. Or you'll see where Bill Belichick goes and you know, yeah, Bill likes this guy. And we just don't have that right now. So I think that mock drafts are going to be an ever changing thing. I know that we've kind of gotten to a rhythm uh, here on this show, but it takes one pick to ruin it. So I think mock drafts are very inaccurate right now. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think when you look at it, every year, you guys know, you know this as much as anyone, the week leading up to the draft is always chaos. Like everything you thought you once believed, you <laughs> right. start to doubt. I'm mm-hmm. really curious to see how that information I mean, it's all really through texts and and calls, so I think we'll still have that this year. There's definitely less rumblings without pro days because you have media at pro days, you have scouts at pro days, you have low-level scouts at pro days that might be more interested in talking compared to a high-level executive. So I think right now it'll be maybe a little bit more of a quiet month than usual, but I still think the week leading up to the draft will be pure chaos. Yeah, which is I every year I go through this with my editors. of like, guys, please let me file my mock draft as late as humanly possible. And it's always like, yeah, we're going to need that Tuesday morning. <laughs> you know, It's like, come on, please. Just let me wait. Let me wait a little bit longer. Because, like, Connor, uh, we were at dinner a couple of years ago, and I stuck, stepped outside to take a call. The, I think it was the night before the draft. And it was someone calling to say, Baker Mayfield will be the first pick in the draft. And I'm like, thanks. I turned my mock in two days ago. You know, like, I, this would have been really helpful to know Monday. 
instead of Wednesday. But the information does come in late. All right, Patty Chamberlain asks, power rank the floors and ceilings for each of the top five offensive tackles. Jedrick Wills, Tristan Wirfs, Andrew Thomas, Makai Becton, and Josh Jones. So I will say the highest... Uh, ceiling, so ceiling is potential floor is where they're at right now. The highest ceiling is Mekhi Becton, in my opinion, without a doubt. The highest floor, in my opinion, is Jedrick Wills. I think Andrew Thomas is probably next when you talk about floor. And then I would say it would be Werfs, Becton, Jones. Okay, so for me, if I'm going ceiling... I would put it Wills first. I really just like the way that he moves, and I think that could be dangerous in the NFL. Uh, if he can learn to play with a little bit more anchor and strength, he gets to the second level. Like There are no questions with that. I really think that he can be a special, very athletic tackle. Then I would say Becton, just the size and strength that he has. Uh, if you can get a good offensive line coach in there and working with him, that the sky's the limit for him. And then I would probably put... Thomas and Werfs are so similar for me. If I you're making me power rank one of them, Werfs and the way that he moves is going to put him ahead of Thomas. And then Jones is he's kind of in that next tier. So I don't even know if we can talk about him the same uh, with these other four guys. As far as the floor goes, I still really like what Wills can give you. Uh, I I think that he's going to be an athletic tackle. And then I would say Werfs, Thomas, Becton. I think I've said enough about Becton that my opinion's out there. Yeah, it's okay. Let's let's do this. Give this a run here. I, I feel pretty similar to you guys. Just to be fair, I think Wills and Werfs have the highest ceilings because of tape combined with athleticism. It, it's just that good for the both of them. Thomas, I think, has the smallest spectrum. I have. I can't see Andrew Thomas being a bad NFL player at all. And I don't know if he'll ever be a great NFL player, but I think he'll be a very, very solid one. And it's there really isn't room to go either way with him, honestly. Becton is the guy where the spectrum, I mean, if he's, man, if he's out of the league in three years, I'd be like, it, okay, you know, that sucks. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm not like, oh, I can't believe this happened. If he's a top five tackle in three years, I'd also be like, okay, I'm not surprised this happened at all. And then Jones is another guy. Jones has a low floor to me because he really needs more base strength. And that was the case with Andre Dillard last year. It's the same thing for Jones, but I still feel really, really good about him. I think this would actually be, in my opinion, a more fun exercise with players like Austin Jackson, Isaiah Wilson, Ezra Cleveland, that like Barch, that group, I think the the ceilings and floors are are totally different. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And because like like I really do like Andrew Thomas. I feel like we know exactly who he is. Like what you see, I do feel like what you see is what you get and he can be improved by scheme, but like the technique's already pretty good. Yeah, I don't I don't know what exactly you're going to change about a guy like that. But but with Becton, I I do I've said it before. I like Becton. He could be Greg Robinson or he could be Brant McKinney. I I don't even know if there's an in between. His in between might be Eric Flowers. You know, so it's like the and we're doing that this year with draft 400. Every player gets a a ceiling and every player gets a floor comparison. And I know some people got on me on Twitter because I said someone was like, I don't remember. It was like Corey Coleman was the floor. And it's like, well, that's what happens if a guy bust. He's going to be bad. And if he hits, he's going to be good. That's just that's the point of this. All right. Next question from Shane Carnahan. Who would you guys pick in a college football draft for this upcoming season? Well, Shane, I can guarantee guarantee you we're probably going to have to do this this summer because I think there's going to be an absence of things to talk about. So we could take this more in depth over the summer. But I think the obvious first pick is Trevor Lawrence. 
Yeah, if you're going for one season, yeah, Trevor Lawrence is the guy. If you're looking at more than one season, you you could probably even look at his teammate, uh, Derek Stingley Jr. He's going to be at LSU for the next two years. So I I guess I'd need further clarification on the what we're doing here. If it's just for next season, yeah, I mean, I think that's easy. You look at Trevor Lawrence, you look at Justin Fields, you look at some of those guys. If I have to take them for the rest of their career, now, I'm probably going to go up to Oregon, and I'm going to look at Kay, uh, Thibodeau, the edge rusher. You get him for two more years. You get Stingley for two more years. I'll tell you a name to remember very early is Sam Howell, the quarterback at North Carolina. I think that he played great last year as a freshman and was a big-time recruit. Mac Brown is a recruiting expert and got him to come to North Carolina. I, I think those are some guys that you can look at. Obviously, uh, Jamar Chase is going to be a good one uh, if you're just doing the one-year thing. So it, it kind of depends on what kind of draft we're doing here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Trevor Lawrence pick is the one that is the no-brainer for a lot of people. And, you know, you have Justin Fields, who will be a Heisman candidate. It depends on what team you're drafting for as well, because if you have a pretty decent quarterback, wouldn't you put Jamar Chase in yeah. this conversation yeah. right away where you feel like he can take over an offense for you? So, Sewell I mean, it's, from Oregon too. that's yeah. a really good one, because, I mean, he feels like a... And things change quick, as I've learned with Grant Delpit this year. But Sewell will be in the top five of every one of our mock drafts this summer. Yep. Oh, without a so doubt. So that's how, yeah. So this can go a lot of different directions. But if you just need one player and say you were like building a team of walk-ons, you're taking Trevor Lawrence. Oh, I, I think so. I definitely think so. He's just, he's special. He's going to be a guy where whether you call it prospect fatigue or we just over-evaluate, uh, I think that we'll run the risk of that with Trevor Lawrence, where it's like, ah, Tired of watching this guy. It's been three years. All right, last question from the Honey Badger. Would the Jets and Raiders be interested in drafting Jerry Judy? If that happens, who could the Niners draft at 13? I mean, I think, yes, anything's possible is is one thing we like to say. You should never speak in absolutes when you're talking about the NFL draft. I think it's a little unlikely the the Jets would draft him. It seems like even the free agency moves, I know they've, they've added a lot of guys to the O-line, but not any pure frontline left tackle type starters that you would think. So I still think the Jets are a team that would we expect to go O-line or, or get an edge rusher. The Raiders, absolutely. The Raiders could also consider CeeDee Lamb or Henry Ruggs. I think at 13, if the Niners keep this pick, because again, they only have six selections. They don't have any in rounds two, three, and four. If they keep this selection, then it's just best wide receiver available. And I think you could look at all three of these teams and we could see the three receivers come off the board. The yeah. order that it happens in, I don't know. Uh, I would guess that it's probably going to be as crazy as this sounds now. CeeDee Lamb at 11, Henry Ruggs at 12, and Jerry Judy at 13. I, I really would not be surprised at all if that's the way that the draft shakes out. Yeah, me either. I, I wouldn't. I'd be a little surprised if... Joe, from everything we've heard about Douglas, but I don't know him personally where I could sit there and say he'd never take a receiver, but it would be a mm -hmm. surprise because of everything we've heard. But if the four tackles aren't there, what do the Jets do? They need a receiver. Right. right. So yeah. it's not, this isn't Josh Allen that has Stephon Diggs and John Brown. You know what I mean? Or, or a lot of these quarterbacks. I mean, Baker Mayfield has Odell Beckham. This list goes on and on. Sam Darnold does not have anyone like that. So to sit here and just rule them out. I couldn't do it. The Raiders, of course, we've had all over this receiver class as, as long as they've had that pick that high. And the Niners, I mean, it, it feels like if the, one of the top guys falls into their lap, it, it just seems like a no-brainer to me because we know that Kyle Shanahan needs to replace a receiver and, and he'd like a top-flight kind of guy. Connor, if you're... if. 
the Jets are sitting there at 11 and all the tackles are gone. What do you want them to do as a fan? Oh, I would I would take either CD Lamb or Jerry Judy That's if the thought. top tackles are gone because number one, I think both those guys are going to be great. I-, I would take CD because the Jets' red zone passing offense was as bad as a unit can historically be last year, and I think CD single handedly improves that. But I just if it's hard, I know people are asking. Like, I don't think I could take Josh Jones at eleven with those guys on the board. No, yeah, and with like CD Lamb, he's such a big target. I know he's he's not a big receiver, but his catch radius is huge. And I think if you pair that with Sam Darnold, you got a special tandem there that can really uh, kill the AFC you know, East. Yeah, whatever, whoever's playing in the East now. I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I, I think all three receivers. I know everyone always wants us to pick one. Judy is my favorite, but like they're all good. And These it's, are all it's good players. Still very scheme specific. Like I like Ceedee Lamb with the Jets more than I do a Jerry Judy, but I like Jerry Judy with the Forty ers more than I do Ceedee Lamb. And I think Henry Ruggs is just going to be a Raider at the end of the day. Yeah. It does feel that way, doesn't it? With I Ruggs. Mean, I think so. I mean, it seems like we get into this every year, and it's like we just keep mocking these guys to these teams. Uh, so it probably won't happen. But it just feels like the big program guys that the Raiders targeted last year, the winning pedigree, uh, high character, and just blazing fast speed, he's he's born to be a Raider. Yeah, and the fact that he that was his wide receiver room. And I know that's something we've talked about before, but like the leadership aspect of Henry Ruggs, and and it's tough because are they going to know that? Are they going to are they going to use one of their hour long Skype calls a week to talk to Henry Ruggs? Hope so. They should. I, you know, it, honestly, if I'm the Raiders, are they limited on the number of Skype? Yeah, calls? you can only have like three a week. I wouldn't. Why even mess with it? I I don't remember. I've been listening to so many podcasts and sports talk radio. I think it was Terry Bradshaw, actually, was talking on one of those shows. And he's like, I didn't even talk with the Steelers. I had no idea they were interested in me. And if I'm the Raiders, I don't think there's any reason to call Henry Ruggs. You know who he is. You know what the player is. Maybe get his phone number. I don't think you need to talk to him. Yep. All right. That is our show. We'll be back Friday morning with uh, more fun to talk about. Hopefully we, we get some yes. moves. Maybe Jadavian Clowney signs. Maybe Trent Williams gets traded. Uh, maybe Cam Newton has a landing spot. We will let you all know Friday morning when we come back. If you have suggestions for top fives, if you have suggestions for player spotlights, you can always send those in at Stick to Football. Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys real soon.